We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The Rock Pile Report with Buffalo Bills season ticket holder, Drew Gear. Be aggressive. You have literally nothing to lose. You're a borderline football team. If I don't keep laughing about this stuff, my teeth are going to turn around and devour my brain. The Bills make me want to... There's one guy above all others that just screams Buffalo. Uh, a lot of a lot of range, good ball skills, great hips again because he's a former corner. He's, he's not afraid to tackle, not afraid to do the dirty work down low and also kind of stand in the center field. And that's Sheldrick Redline. I'm usually not this negative of a person. I just want to qualify this, that it's not a good linebacker class, especially not a good year to have one. So I'm usually not this negative. I'm usually more positive about the players and prospects and all that stuff. It might get a little dirty. You might want to fast forward if, if, if you don't want to hear bad things said about people. I'm rooting for all of them. I hope they prove. I hope every single one of them proved me wrong. Metcalf and, to a degree, Demarcus Lodge on the other side were pretty much just decoys. They ran two routes in the offense: go and curl. And so they they weren't really they weren't allowed to run slants or posts or you know use their big bodies and speed in ways that the NFL uh, often uses big fast receivers. Joshua Jacobs, when you watch his game. He's extremely disciplined. He's very efficient. He's powerful. He's balanced. The answer to your question is because he's not very fucking good. That's the question. Like that's the answer to your question. His hand placement is consistently outside every single time, and he instantly has to go to like reset, recover. Jalen Ferguson out of Louisiana Tech, and this is a player that's very difficult to slot in terms of where he's going to be selected and why. Because Ferguson had a really, really bad pro day, wasn't invited to the combine because of a, a freshman misdemeanor sort of an incident. You wonder what the athleticism is like in that regard, only obviously having the pro day to look at. But then we're also talking about the career leader in sacks, Nancy. Welcome everybody to another edition of the Rockpile Report Podcast. I am your host, Bill Season Ticket Holder Drew Gear. That's my producer Chris Krueger, and that was every single one of our pre-draft guests. We had on the show discussing their various classes. Folks, happy Dingus Day. It's, it's, a, it's the rare occasion where the Rockpile Report records on a Monday, and thus, this will probably never happen again. I mean, I'm sure there's going to be times in the summer, but never on 
Probably never on Dingus Day. For those of you out there wondering who aren't, especially those who aren't native to Buffalo, what the hell is Dingus Day? Well, I'll tell you what, right now my wife is downtown drinking with a bunch of strangers. Here's what I understand of Dingus Day. Okay, it's a Polish holiday. Buffalo throws the biggest party in the world. Uh, a couple years ago, CNN's uh, Anderson Cooper found that out the hard way. Uh, what, Chris made me watch a video of him giggling like a schoolgirl when he found out what it was all about. I yeah, because they, they, they uh, used a clip from WIVB here in Buffalo, and the guy said, Pussy Willow. I mean, I don't know what's so I don't understand. silly about Pussy Willow, but Here, here's it's not my, that funny. Here's, now, my wife's family is completely Polish. Completely Polish. And I don't, un, I, I, don't, I don't grasp the entirety of the holiday, but here's what I get from observing it. First of all, everybody stuffs their faces with kielbasa and pierogi. That sounds like a good time. There's a parade through downtown Buffalo and through the old Polish neighborhoods. And then everybody congregates down at the central terminal here in downtown Buffalo. Tradition dictates that guys spray water at girls that they're attracted to. Women hit men that they're attracted to with pussy willows. And everybody gets intoxicated in public. I should probably go to this. It sounds a lot easier than Bumble and Tinder. <laughs> I mean, guys, if that doesn't sound like a Buffalo holiday, I don't know what does. And since we never record on these days, this will likely be the only time we're ever celebrating it on the podcast. And we're going to do this by tasting another one of these fantastic Nevada import craft beers. Folks, if you're going to... I mean, this is it. It's a, it's a time for celebration, and we're going to do it with a Joseph James Citra Rye American Pale Ale. Yep, that'll be... I mean, it's no moon. T- it's no Montucky, but I'm sure it'll do the trick. Yeah, Montucky was literally like emptying three-fourths of a quarter's light and then pouring water in there to top it off. Well, I see this one's 5.4% alcohol, so that's good, and it's got 55 IBUs. Barley hops, water yeast, says drink fresh and keep cold. Now, this smells like an IPA. Ah, yes, it does. This it smells, smells like it has some flavor. Yeah, this smells like I'm not going to like it. <laughs> oh, now that's an IPA, sir. An American Pale Ale, I guess so. An APA. This is clean tasting. Acolytes Protection Agency. It rolls off the tongue, and yet this, at the same time, it's got flavor. Whereas the Montucky just tasted like uh, cowboy boots in depression. This, I don't know, this is a really good beer. It's clean tasting. It's going down smooth. I like it. It's got the little bit of rye on the back end. This yeah. is fantastic. Not into it. Another, Of course you're not because you have no taste. <laughs> Unlike people out there running around Buffalo in red shirts right now. Mm-hmm. Just spraying each other with squirt guns and stumbling all over each other, probably vomiting in an alley somewhere. So Who love- knows? That's a Buffalo holiday, folks. Yeah, I'd love to get hit with a pussy willow. <laughs> You're going to have to shave your head before that happens. This mohawk is absurd. You've gone past Travis Mickle. And now you're so, you're somewhere like if you weren't in a punk or ska band, I don't know that anybody knows what to do with you. Perfect. Just wait. This the whole summer, this thing's gonna grow. Either way, folks, happy Dingus Day. Raise your glasses with us, you sons of bitches. Nostrovia. Woo! And with that, Chris, let's kick off the Bills news update. Man, this beer is tasty. Man, that is some news. I gotta get my hands on some more of this stuff. I wish we lived in a place that had better craft beer. 
But in, in news, folks, TJ Yeldon signs with the Buffalo Bills. Chris, how many times can I be right in one offseason? Or at least, can, can Two, I, I think call this for is some the things mo- that make sense? I think this is the most you've been right. Two. I like reason. I, I, just, <laughs> I just like when I have a concept or I have an idea. And people who actually work in the industry of football seem to agree with me. And Nate Gary agreed with you. Even if it takes a couple weeks. In a move that I not only called for back when he was available in the offseason, but also in the draft. The Bills have finally brought T.J. Yeldon into, into the building here in Orchard Park. He signed a two-year contract. Now, when you look at T.J. Yeldon, you know, he's, if, if you didn't watch Alabama football, I mean, he, didn't, he wasn't a highly touted running back prospect. But I, being a person who's watched him play his entire collegiate career, I kind of knew what he could be. And I think he kind of filled that at the NFL level. And again, if you don't watch a lot of the Jaguars, you probably don't realize it. They're not shown a lot uh, nationally. No. Surprised you didn't know that. (laughs) But Yeldon checks a lot of boxes in regards to his skill set as a supplemental running back. First of all, he's a four-year NFL veteran. He's, he played 50% of his team's snaps last season on offense. Now, that's important to note because when you're looking for a, when you're looking for a depth running back, you have to know that they at least, you know, I mean, think about it. Chris, last season, we didn't think we'd get there, but we had games where Marcus Murphy and Keith Ford were our two running backs. Yeah, and uh, now we have uh, old running backs. <laughs> so what you have now is at least somebody who has experience in that role of, hey, you're going to be a depth guy, but you might be called on to take a significant significant number of snaps if the situation dictates. Isn't he like a better like uh, catcher out of the backfield? Well, that's exactly it. He fills that role really well of third down and change of pace back. He's a good pass protector, much better than Marcus Murphy was. Marcus Murphy, he could be okay when once you get the ball in his hands, but you were kind of hesitant to roll him out there because the guy could not pass protect. I mean, I watched a handful of clips I I can think of right now just off the cuff where Murphy almost got Josh Allen killed, both in the preseason and the regular season. That's not okay. So now you've got a guy who can not only pass protect, but also pretty polished receiver. He's averaged over his career 5.6 yards per target, and he caught 55 passes last season. So Chris, if you can throw the guy the ball and get five yards every time you do it, if you're on third down, odds are you're probably closer to the sticks than that, right? Yeah. Okay, so there's a little bit of utility there. He brings you something you didn't have last year, which is a reliable target out of the backfield, and it might even help you open up your passing game a little bit, especially if you have to rely on your depth. And then the thing I like most is that despite his status as a four-year contributor, he's still the second youngest player in the running back room besides undrafted free agent Keith Ford. He's actually younger than Marcus Murphy. How fucking Jeez. crazy is that? Jesus. <laughs> you, would, you would think Ford or Murphy will not uh, be on the team. Well, not only that, but I think the biggest, the biggest thing about the signing is what it says about our draft plans. Now, I don't think it wholly precludes the concept that the Bills could draft a running back. But it does take some of the pressure off of the team to land one this season. I mean, and that might be the idea behind it. Maybe the Bills have solidified their draft board and they said, look, we're not going to prioritize running backs. So let's spend the free agency dollars. We have plenty of cap space. Let's bring in this guy on a two-year deal that might get us to next offseason when we know we're not going to have Frank Gore next year. 
I mean, yep. I think he's already said this is his last season. Yep. Um, McCoy. Got McCoy. Who knows what's going to happen with McCoy? He's 30 years old. Next year, I think it costs us a million dollars in dead cap to, rele- to release him, and it would save us like $7 million against the cap. Sounds like something we would do. I just, at that point, you have to wonder. Depend- and I think a lot of that's going to be dictated by what he shows this year. So you don't have to cut Sean McCoy this year. You can keep him and have him be your bell cow back. Or at least a solid another solid contributor in what could be a trio of running backs. Yeah, I think our But you're under no pressure to get rid of him. No, you're I'm, not under cap constraints. But going into next season and the season after and the season after, you're gonna need cap space to start signing other players. And having the oldest and simultaneously most expensive running back room in the NFL isn't a good idea. Yeah, maybe our not. maybe our front office values like next year's running back class. I mean, I'm sure they look that far ahead into it, but I'm sure maybe they think next year is better than this year. Well, that's that's an interesting piece to this. And that said, it's probably going to be one of those things where if the value is there in this year's draft, maybe they'll act. But it doesn't seem, based on the way they've built this roster now, that that's going to be a consideration. I mean, now they've got, what, five, six running backs under contract? I don't even uh, count, um, who's it, Sinorsi? Senior but yeah, he, he, I don't he's count him never as a t- back. You, you he's a special he's teamer. He's a special teamer. But with that said, it's just interesting to see the fact that they've... Because T.J. Yeldon... Don't get it wrong, folks. T.J. Yeldon does not fit the typical, you know, Sean McDermott, you know, you have to play. I mean, think about it. We got rid of Jonathan Williams a few years ago. He was a fifth-round draft pick. And everyone said, oh, well, he's well-rounded. Maybe this is his chance to get worked in as the number two running back. And we cut him in the preseason because he would not play special teams or at least he didn't have it he didn't show an aptitude for it so it's interesting to see that now they're going out and getting a running back who took no snaps on special teams last year but maybe that's because they already have senoris pierce i mean uh oh jesus christ what's his last name perry perry because they have him who's primarily a special teamer at the running back spot now they have yelled in so that's four running backs that are probably going to make the roster already yeah. So there again, you're hard-pressed to find a d- space for a draft pick in that group. And those acquisitions might be kind of the – they may underscore the fact that running back just isn't in the plans this year. So with that, I, you know, we spent a lot of time in the last few weeks talking about what the plans were going to be or at least trying to overview what was out there. Just on the you – know, because the team has to spend their draft capital somewhere – it's nice knowing what's there position by position by position. So in a quick recap of what we've learned in the last month and a half since we started the draft preview series, I mean, we, we kicked the whole thing off with cornerback and safety with analyst Brett Coleman. And in our conversation with him, we determined that this year's class of cornerbacks, it's essentially large guys better suited for playing the boundary. Just with the only thing that really separates them is varying levels of athleticism and technique. Now, based on what the Bills have done through the offseason, and you could, I mean, I don't want to say before the, you know, this whole preseason process got going, but based on what they've done so far, you figure they brought in former first-round draft pick Ken, Kevin Johnson. They brought in Maurice Alexander at safety. They brought in E.J. Gaines. You know, he was a former boundary cornerback who did pretty well here in our system here in Buffalo. I just think it's unlikely that a defensive back is in the cards early. Would you agree? Correct. Okay. So with all things, 
maybe in the late rounds you roll the dice on somebody, but it just doesn't look like there's a lot of room there on the depth chart at this point. Then you look at the linebacker position. We had analyst Mike Kiss from Bleeding Green Nation and Bleeding Green Nation Radio on the show, and that was one of the more freewheeling groups that we reviewed. (laughs) Not only because we probably drank a little bit more than we should have, but because it's rare that an analyst comes on and is so candid about his dislike of a specific group of players. Hey, at least he's being honest. Well, that's what I want. I want honesty, even if it sucks. Even if the guy comes on and says, guys, you... You're wasting your time if you're looking for a running uh, for a linebacker in this class because these guys are dog shit. Based on his critique, my takeaway is that it sounds like we lucked out in trading up to draft Edmonds when we did last season as our middle linebacker. Because you think about it, Chris, there doesn't see, all he had to say were negative things about the linebackers at the top of this class. Right, he said. I think he said there was Josh Allen. And then no one else. No one else who should be a first-round draft pick. Even though they will be drafted, there's no one that should be. And that's terrifying to think about for a team if you're going in there saying, I have to come away from this draft with a linebacker. We already have one. Not only that, but the team went out and prioritized the position in getting Eli Harold, who for as much as he's called a defensive end, he's more of a, coming out of the draft, he was viewed as a 3-4 outside linebacker. Yeah, and he projects athletically towards being a Sam linebacker in our scheme. So it seems kind of like defensive back in the sense that I don't. there's not a need right now to go out and prioritize that position in the draft unless the right value were to fall to them. He did bring up the idea of one player, Chase Winovich, which could be interesting because if you were to go out and add a dynamic strong side linebacker, Chris, at that point, we'd have one of the best linebacking cores in the division much less the conference, right? With somebody that we dra- chase Winovich that we yeah. draft this year? Yeah. It, where's he projected to go? Eh, late first, second round. Yeah, we get it. Like, he hasn't proven anything in the NFL. But my point is, is that you could look at it and say, okay, now we've got an, a much more athletic, strong side linebacker than we've had the last two years, and our defense has done pretty well aside from that. And you, this guy would replace Lorenzo when he retires? Probably. Fine by me. I just, but again, it's another position that given our needs, I don't know that it's going to be prioritized. Then we talked wide receivers and tight ends with analyst Brett Coleman. And that conversation was dominated by a discussion on one of the most polarizing prospects in the draft, wide receiver DK Metcalf. He has an incredibly in-depth breakdown that we're going to post again in the show's description. He loves the elite traits that this guy brings to the table. And the fact that even though his route tree is limited, he's such a physical freak that even when a defensive back can mirror him and kind of stay in his hip pocket the way you're taught to in, you know, if you're playing man coverage, he's still going to be open just by his stature and his physicality and his catch radius. So I understand why a lot of people look at that and say that if he's the pick, I guess what I have to say is that... I'm going to have a hard time wrapping my head around the value of a wide receiver that high. I mean, I've seen a lot of them bust. I've seen a lot of wide receivers, especially ones with injury histories or who just haven't proven out statistically and you're just banking on athletic upside. I've seen that go sideways more often than it goes right. If we took Metcalf at nine, I'm not sure he would get a second contract. I don't know. Because you have to factor in Allen getting his money if he's good. Are you going to pay Edmonds? Are you going to pay Trey White? You have all these things to consider before you would 
break the bank for a wide receiver. We also broke down the tight end class and outlined that despite a lot of attention being paid to the guys at the top of the board, like your TJ Hawkinson and your Noah Fant, there's a number of players that are going to be available later in the draft that would seem to provide kind of a, the seam-stretching option that would fit this offense and fit what this team is looking for. One of which is a guy in uh, Sturmberger, the guy out of Texas A&M. We talked about him a little bit. And he's a guy who, surprisingly, as we go through our research, I found that the team has spent some considerable time researching. You know, we brought him in for a private workout. We spent time with him. That's important when it comes to these prospects. Meanwhile, I don't, I, I'm having a hard time finding anywhere where we've really scouted TJ Hawkinson. Even though everyone keeps talking about him being a fit for the Bills, I don't see anywhere, whether it's visits, whether it's pro days, whether it's the combine, I don't see anywhere where our scouting staff has actually met with this guy. So you have to question how much of that is media-driven narrative and how much of it is real. And then there's the running back group, which we just got done talking about. We had analyst Matt White's scouting portfolio join us, and I underscored the fact that the Bills have the oldest and yet simultaneously most expensive running back room in the whole NFL, and how terrible that was for, you know, for roster building moving forward. So through our walkthrough with him, we took a look at the running back class as a whole. And while there's talent, Waldman essentially warned us that there were at least a few running backs who are essentially regarded highly because of their accomplishments at the NCAA level. And they're being talked about as potential first and second round draft picks who essentially lack the physical and technical upside to make a similar impact in the NFL. The good thing for us is that we're not going to fall into that trap because no one here actually believes that the running back is going to be a priority at this point. He did have some encouraging things to say about some of the depth in this class, though. And in our conversation brought to us one of the, this year's prospects that he thought at the time, and probably even more so now with the signing of Yeldon, fits our not only needs, but fits what it is we're trying to accomplish at the running back position which is running back out of Oklahoma, Rodney Anderson. That when you get to the second level, he can plant his foot in the ground and completely alter the axis of pursuit that defenders are, are trying to take on him. You know, they suddenly have to change direction and he's in the open field because of that. He can, at top speed, put jukes on a defensive back and make him look silly, like basically make his knees jelly. The issue with him is he has torn ACL. He broke his neck, like, um, a couple years ago. Um, so he's had a neck injury. He's had an AC, he's in, Now he has an ACL injury. People worried about the injury issues with him. You can get a guy who right now I think has the grade in my book of a top five running back in this class and that's accounting for his injury. He's got to get better as a blocker. That's his big thing. But the fact that you have you know, a quarterback who runs as much as Josh Allen can and escapes you know, you'd like to shore up that, you know, that pass protection. But I think Anderson can get better at, at that area, but he's also someone that can offer a lot of different components for you. And you have the luxury of getting him a little later because you won't need him right now. And you can take that gamble in the same way that maybe, you know, back in the day you guys took a gamble on Willis McGahee. That was Matt Waldman from our episode a couple weeks ago on running backs. <sighs> I mean, it's 
it's something to think about, but at the same time, Chris, like we said, running back now at this point. Now that we got Yeldon. All you're doing is taking a developmental shot at this point. Nobody you draft this season is seeing starter snaps unless something crazy were to materialize in the next handful of days. Where I think we're going to spend most of our draft and draft capital and where a lot of this gets more interesting is our final two draft preview shows. The first one was the offense. The first one we're going to talk about is the offensive line. And that was with analyst Russ Brown over from CoverOne.net and the CoverOne.net draft podcast. In our segment with him, we broke down the Bills' needs on the offensive line. And for anybody out there who says that there isn't needs, you're out of your mind. Okay, I, you're drinking too much of the Kool Aid. Okay, this is a perfect opportunity. You know, everyone looks at all of the new players that we put on the offensive line. This is now the perfect opportunity for those to bolster their tackle depth with blue chip prospects because we don't have to start them right away. I mean, Chris, I can't make this point enough. We have players with upside and have some experience, but after Dawkins' regression last year, neither tackle position is solved. I put air quotes around that. Neither, Chris, are you comfortable? After seeing what you saw out of Dan Dawkins last year, you're just totally comfortable saying, "Well, he's unfailable as a left tackle." I mean, you did. I mean, I I don't watch the offensive line as intently as you do, but I mean, he did okay to below average. I mean, you can always upgrade left tackle. Okay, and what if I were to tell you that right now there's one player on the roster who's taken significant snaps at right tackle, and he's been a career backup. He has five starts to his name. And that's Leadrian Waddell, who might not even, he's going to have a hard time making the roster as it is. That's your answer at right tackle. Either that or banking on taking a guy who's played left tackle and just hoping that his skill set translates. Are you okay with that? No. No. No one should be. That's a ter- It's not a terrible idea if it works. If it doesn't work, then you look like an ass. Because then essentially what you're doing is you've removed Jordan Mills from the equation and replaced him with Jordan Mills 2.0. Nobody wants that, okay? He agreed with us that as this process gets underway, there is significant value in this year's crop of guards and tackles. And so for a team that doesn't have a lot of certainty at either position, it would be a mistake to assume the team couldn't or wouldn't move to find a top-flight prospect at either one of those positions. He also had some solid input on some of the lesser-discussed prospects in terms of being, being linked to the Bills. Now, offensive tackle Andre Dillard's a big one. He gave him a glowing review. If you guys want to go back, again, link in the description to the show. And Brett Coleman just today put out a mock draft that had Dillard going to the Bills at number nine based on the research he's been doing. If you guys haven't had a chance to hear it or just want a refresher, I suggest you go back and check that out. And then last week's show, we had analyst Ben Solak from the Draft Network. It's the position that I think most highly of this entire se- of this entire season. It's It's... The defensive end and defensive tackle spots. I get the fact that everybody out there wants a dynamic playmaking weapon for Josh Allen. I know. Tight end. I can't be, People keep tweeting at us. Oh, Hawkinson. Hawkinson this, Hawkinson that. Uh, wide receivers. The fact remains, Chris. Our number one defensive tackle and number one defensive end are both going to be on the wrong side of 29. Both are going to be making seven-figure salaries and neither one of them has ever been to a Pro Bowl. Ever. Do you think it's going to start now? Now that they're both fucking 30? No. No! No! You're, you're drunk, 
Hi, I, I don't know what you're doing. Maybe you've been out of Dingus Day for too long. If that's the, th if that's what you think is going to happen here. So expensive, old, and also underperforming. Tell me what's great about our defensive line right now, Chris. Uh, I don't. We don't have anything good. <laughs> Thank you. But yet everybody likes to just look at it and say, "Well, ah, uh, you know, the secondary did okay," and. People wonder why our run defense was so bad. It starts up front. It starts with your ability to plug gaps and stop offensive linemen from getting to your second level since your linebackers can make plays. Also, we were 26th in the NFL in sacks. Do you know where the majority of your sacks in a 4-3 defense are supposed to come from? Your defensive ends. Right now, we don't have that. We don't have a defensive end on this roster who you can trust to generate pressure consistently. Jerry Hughes, is, he's been good, but he's getting older. Not only is he getting older, but he's proven that without solid tackle play next to him, like a true penetrator, he's not, he's just, he hasn't been as dynamic. Okay, His best years are, seem like they're behind him. So, you look at our depth. I, I can't say more about this. We had to sign Trent Murphy in free agency, Chris. We have Shaq Lawson, who we're still waffling on whether or not to pick up the fifth-year option. What are you going to do? Are you going to just keep going to free agency to try to fill this defensive end hole? No, we need to get younger at that position. Do you remember when the Dolphins thought they were getting a steal because we cut Mario Williams and they signed him for $8 million? They got nothing. No. So the Bills passed on trading for Khalil Mack, probably because of not only the draft capital it would have taken, but because of the salary he would have commanded. And his fit in our scheme. But then at the same time, you don't want to be the team that says, okay, well, I'm not going to spend on a Khalil Mack level for a free agent. And I'm also, but you don't want to be at the bottom of the barrel either, signing guys like Mario Williams and just rolling the dice because when that go, when it comes up snake eyes, you look like an idiot. So that said, you have to start drafting that position. It's the only way to get production out of it, or at least cost-controlled production. So talking to Ben, I feel better knowing that this is a deep class of not only interior penetrators that go into the second and third round even. It, the defensive end class also has some upside outside of those first two rounds. I mean, he, he had glowing things to say about Ed Oliver and Quinn and Williams, uh, Christian Wilkinson, some of the guys who are supposed to be there at nine when the Bills draft, if that's the way they decide to go. And even some day two guys like Tyquan Williams. And if defensive end is the pick... He reminded us that Montez Sweat, who was one of just three defensive ends to visit the team for a private workout, he might also be a legit consideration with the ninth pick. Oh, man, I think they're going to like him at nine. I think McDermott's going to think he fits the system uh, for sure. I think that when you see Montez Sweat win, I think he's going to win with length. He's obviously, he doesn't have an explosive first step, but he gains a lot of ground in his first three steps. He's got a wicked stride length, right? He's a huge body in general. And then obviously the athletic testing really thinks really seems to make you think a little bit all right this guy's an NFL caliber athlete for sure doesn't show up all the time on tape but I can I can deal with that and I can develop that I can make that more and more so I think he's absolutely in play for nine he's the guy with the heart he's been removed from some teams board you have to figure out if he's going to be a second contract guy if you're worried about his health long term but if he passes your medical checks I mean production in the SEC athleticism and film I think he checks all the major boxes I expect him to go top 10 if not Top six, I think you know the Giants are a legit spot for him. If he's there at nine, he's going to be in heavy consideration. That's what I would guess. 
Ben Solak from our episode last week. Guys, I mean, I get the medical concerns. I do. You don't want to take a player who, especially in the top 10, I mean, you when you're drafting that high, you're expecting to get a guy who's going to make a pro bowl or two for you over the course of his career. And you almost expect that they're going to be second contract guys. But with that said, look at look at what he the situation we currently have. This guy's floor as a rookie coming into the NFL is pro, as a pass rusher is probably the same as what we're getting out of Shaq Lawson and Trent Murphy right now. And his ceiling is so much higher. So with that said, I, I wouldn't be pissed off if that's the pick. What do you think, Chris? I wouldn't I mean, looking at the, the way the draft order is, there's Arizona's at one and the Giants are at six, and I think those are the only two teams in the top ten that will could take a quarterback. There's a lot of talk of Kyler Murray going to Arizona. If he's not the pick, and then the Giants are the only team in the top ten to take a quarterback – and Denver is right behind us at 10. You can see Miami at 13 or Washington at 15 trying to get up ahead of Denver to get their quarterback. If there's two guys on the board at on the defensive line that you think will be there if you trade back to 13 or 15 and you're picking up an extra second, I think, I think that would be a good idea. All right. All right. I'll, 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 I'll give that some thought. I mean, essentially... <laughs> I mean, we've all, we all know how I feel about this. I feel like this is the best place on the defensive line to allocate this year's draft capital. I mean, ultimately, folks, one way or the other, we know that I believe that this is the best use of, use of our draft capital. But I have no idea what they're thinking in the war room. I have no idea. This draft, more so than what feels like the last five to ten years worth of drafts, has just left me just... I, Chris, I don't have an answer. Usually you can look at it and say, based on the team's needs, this is where they're probably going to go. Last year, you knew it was going to be quarterback. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Okay? Before that, no, you didn't know they were going to trade down for a cornerback, but the team was so untalented, they could have literally gone anywhere, and that's not a good thing. That's not a positive thing. That's a, hey, our team is so crap, we don't know what to do with this. We, we don't know what we're going to do with this first-round draft pick. And in years past, it's been, well, we have to get this position, quote-unquote. You know, when it was E.J. Manuel, it was, oh, well, we have to get him a wide receiver. <laughs> you know what I mean? I don't feel any of that with this year's class. And so I thought that with the official visits concluded, with the bulk of the scouting work done, I mean, it's, Chris, this is set. Everybody's moving, to, everybody's going down to Tennessee for the draft this week. Everybody's getting settled in the war room. If you, if you... If you haven't finished your scouting by now, then you're an asshole as a GM and you're probably getting fired when this is all said and done. Or you already sent your scouts home. <laughs> or like the Raiders, you already sent everybody home because you, quote-unquote, don't know who to trust. I'm sure things will go well for you, Oakland. I'm sure. But so I thought it might be worth a look into what this pre-draft process and this scouting process has been for the Bills and just taking a crack at looking for signs as to what they might be thinking. So as I take a look at this, I start with what are the tentpole concepts of the offseason? You have three major things that go on every offseason that are kind of a big deal for the scouting community. And that's combine, the senior bowl, and your private workouts. So aside from, first we start with the combine. 
aside from selling advertising and making me think that I should be owning just a ridiculous amount of stock in spandex, the purpose of the combine is for talent evaluators to get up close and personal with everybody who's coming into next year. Well, not everybody, but a lot of the major players that are going to be available in this upcoming draft to see their physical talents charted in tangible metrics in front of them. And GMs aren't going to waste their time visiting with prospects that they have zero interest in. But that's not to say that when they, when they meet with a player that they want to draft them. There's a, it's very likely that those meetings are more exploratory. So what I've done is I've taken a look back at last year and I'm trying to compare it to this year and just see if I can find any corollaries. When you look back at 2018, Quarterback was obviously the topic of the day for the Buffalo Bills. But we only met with three. A backup guy out of Washington State, Mike White, Lamar Jackson, and Baker Mayfield. And we drafted none of those players. We met with a ton of the top-ranked offensive linemen. Matthias Rankin, uh, Colton Miller, who was a first-round draft pick. Uh, Frank Ragnow, who was also a highly drafted prospect. But we didn't draft a single offensive lineman until Wyatt Teller in the fifth round. Chris, they didn't draft a single one of the players that they met with at the Combine last season. Now, to you, does that seem like a waste? That is interesting that we don't put more... uh, I can't think of the word. Look into these players more. Because the Combine's the first thing after the college football season, right? Is the combine? Well, you get your Shrine Game and your Senior Bowl, and then I think it's I think the combine comes after the Senior Bowl. Yeah, maybe, I mean I don't know. Maybe they didn't like these guys in the meeting room because you get what fifteen minutes with them. Fifteen minutes. Here's 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 what I think, Chris. I think that as a GM, you're obviously not going to do you're not going to waste your time. I think what these a lot of these meetings are, it's it's something you do as a measuring stick. You want to take, hey, I want to meet this guy. I want to see what he looks like athletically, and I want to see what he knows, what he thinks, just what he, you know, on the fly, these are quick meetings, just so I can compare it to what I know about another player that I'm interested in and see if the gap is as wide as it's perceived to be. And that's, so, so that's just something to keep in mind. That's a concept I want you to keep in the back of your head, Chris. Then we look at the Senior Bowl. The team really seems to prioritize experience as part of this evaluation process. And while that can in some cases mean that these players have more mileage on them when they're drafted, it also helps from the standpoint that you're getting a better concept of who that player is. And also, you get to see how these guys progress and grow year over year. And you can kind of start to get a feel for what they've put on tape and figure out, okay, is is this player at his peak? Or has he progressed year over year, and do I think he's going to continue to grow when I draft him? Now, Chris, think about it. The uh, the conversation we had about the Mitch Trubisky. Yeah. Like two years ago now? Yeah. with uh, I think it was Schofield. You only have, what, he only had 12 starts? Yeah, I didn't like that. Well, th- nobody should like that. That should be terrifying to you, because you don't have a body of work to refer to. Okay. What you want to see is that a guy gets better year over year than what he's doing in college because you know his competition is going to get much stiffer when he inevitably transfers to the pros. Yeah, and coaches will figure out what you do well. It's also one of the reasons why, and my friends break my balls about it constantly, Alabama players, 
there have been a lot of Alabama players who do not have the same impact at the NFL level that they did at the collegiate level. Part of that is because I firmly believe this. Nick Saban goes out during his recruiting process. He wants guys who are playing at their peak now, you know, coming out of high school. Who are the guys who are at their peak or will be there within a year or two? Because that's when I can capitalize on it. And teams watch this tape that these athletes put out there, and then they draft them based on it. I mean, think about it. We spent a second-round pick on uh, who's the linebacker? Gee, Reggie Ragland, one of my yep. favorites. One of, one of my favorites. Yeah, you lost your mind on that pick. I, I was ecstatic. And it turns out he was just not athletic to do what we needed him to do, and we ended up having to trade him for a fifth-round pick. So with that said... I think the problem is is that those draft picks were taken, and a lot of these Alabama draft picks were made. Cyrus Quanjo. Cyrus Quanjo, D. Milner. These are all guys who were picked at their peak in college. There wasn't enough tape on him to say, hey, look, did he progress year over year, or just has he been what he is for the last two years? And we're going to draft him to be that and hope that it translates. So when you take a look at the results of the scouting that's taken place at the Senior Bowl, because, again, that's where you have the best seniors in the country get together and have almost like a miniature combine. They have practices, they have some different, you know, the quarterbacks will all throw and they play what is essentially a scrimmage. The results of the scouting that have taken place at the Senior Bowl for this franchise for as long as McDermott has been in town speaks, speaks for themselves. In 2017, here's a list of players we drafted that attended the Senior Bowl. Quarterback Nathan Peterman, wide receiver Zay Jones. Offensive tackle, Deion Dawkins. Cornerback, Trey White. In 2018, here's a list of the players that we drafted that attended the Senior Bowl. Quarterback, Josh Allen. Offensive guard, Wyatt Teller. Defensive tackle, Harrison Phillips. Cornerback, Teron Johnson. And strong safety, Saron Neal. Of the 14 draft picks that the team has made since McDermott got here, only two of them, Chris, have been underclassmen. That's Tremaine Edmonds and Ray-Ray McLeod. Tremaine Edmonds, tons of talent. Ray-Ray McLeod, I think he was in the doghouse all of last season. Absolutely. So that's not to say, and I think the Edmonds pick underscores this, that's not to say that this team is afraid to draft an underclassman. But I think that that's a sizable piece to the puzzle in trying to establish what this team wants to do this week. It's, you're looking at guys who have, ta- have talent and also have a track record, have an established track record at the NCAA level. And some of the names fitting that criteria from the 2019 crowd also happen to be some of them that we've discussed in the last few weeks on the show. Defensive end Montez Sweat, defensive end Jalen Ferguson, wide receiver Debo Samuel. These are all guys who also unsurprisingly were brought in for private workouts. They fit that mold of having the track record, <laughs> and they've had production, and they've shown growth year over year. So is it shocking then to find out that as you see the progression of this, and that seems to fit the mold of guys that they've drafted in the past, that they also brought all three of those guys in for private workouts? So then you look at that, the, th- the 30 allotted pre-draft visit candidates. That's the final piece to all this. It's an opportunity for a team to bring in a prospect behind closed doors without other GMs or other scouts getting in the way and really drill down into who this prospect is as a person, what he's capable of processing, what what his strengths and weaknesses are, sometimes even what the player views their own strengths and weaknesses are. And Chris, it's not uncommon for you to talk to somebody, 
If I told you as a person, Chris, if you and I were having a conversation and I said, hey, Chris, I want you to name one strength and one weakness for yourself, what would you say? Uh, Jesus. I mean, from a personality standpoint, I am hilarious. <laughs> obviously. And then uh, my weakness would be every other social skill. See? Now, I agree with 50% of what you just said. And that's, I guess, my point. That's the Sometimes people can... <laughs> Especially athletes, you know, you have to have a certain amount of self-confidence to do that, to play at a level that these guys are going to need to play in the NFL. But sometimes you have an overestimation of your own abilities. And that's what a lot of these private workouts are to try to determine. Now, you want to know, what does this guy think? What does he feel? How is he wired? So there's some interesting takeaways looking at how the Bills handled last season under Bean for the first time. Now, when you look at the quarterback situation, Depending on which national pundit you believe, and I tend to follow Benjamin Albright, Josh Allen was the Bills' quarterback one from the very beginning of the scouting process. He said it again and again and again, and then finally it happened. In trying to vet these quarterbacks, they met with almost every single quarterback considered to be a first-round prospect outside of Darnold and Lamar Jackson on pre-draft visits. Interesting. The Bills also brought in every single one of 2018's highly touted linebackers. That's Edmonds, uh, Roquan Smith, Leighton Van Der Esch, and Rashawn Evans, as well as late-rounder Fred Wagner. And when you look back at it, that should have tipped everybody off to the fact that linebacker, a linebacker pick was coming because you, you wouldn't fly all these guys to Buffalo for nothing. But I didn't see it coming. It, it caught me totally off guard. Oh, yeah, because you were wasted. Well, no, but not just that, but because when you looked at what we needed last year, quote-unquote needed, you didn't think middle linebacker was going to – it didn't seem like the year you were going to pick middle linebacker because quarterback was such a – just this giant question mark. And you knew that's where the team wanted to go. You didn't think they'd trade into the first round for another one of these top-flight prospects. Mm -hmm. In retrospect, again, we all should have seen that coming if you look at their scouting patterns. And then the other high-volume position in terms of draft visits, defensive back. The team brought in six defensive backs from cornerback to safety, whose, grade, whose pre-draft grades were anywhere from first to second round. But when it came time to make the picks, they didn't take a single one of those players and instead drafted strong safety Saran Neal and cornerback Teron Johnson, who they met with at the Senior Bowl. Now, Seems strange to invest so heavily in getting FaceTime with those top prospects if you're not going to take any of them, right? Yeah. But to me, it seems like one of those gap-checking situations that I was just talking about. You want to see if the guys that you like are that far away. You want to see exactly how wide the gap is in terms of their ability to digest your scheme and what you're going to ask of them athletically. And you just want to see if hey, if there's enough here and if we think the gap is small enough, we can neglect on addressing these positions high. Use all of our capital to get this quarterback and get this linebacker and do whatever we want to do with it and still tab a couple defensive backs that we think can be useful. I mean, does that make sense? Makes sense to me. So in all, those three positions accounted for half of our team's, actually a little bit more than half of all of their overall visits last year. And they all saw an investment in draft capital. So when you look at this year's crop, it's much more, it's much more you know, spread out. 
I was really hoping that when I looked at this year's crop of pre you know, 30 draft visits, we were going to get some definitive, hey, here's a group of defensive tackles. Like they overwhelmingly viewed those. So they overwhelmingly viewed defensive ends. But that's not the case. It's very evenly spread. I mean, they brought in, th I think it was four wide receivers and defensive tackles and three defensive ends and three tight ends. And so you don't really know where they're leaning on that standpoint, but there is one thing I think that stands out above all else is that face time is important. They don't draft guys unless they get a significant amount of face time with them, or at least time spent scouting them. So then the question is, who are these guys remaining in this that fit that mold? And so folks, now that we've taken a look at some of these things, you know, these we've kind of outlined what we, you know, things that we think we know or things that we evidence would suggest become a priority. The question is, who are the players that kind of fit these molds? There's some of them out there, and in order to really kind of figure out who the team has had eyes on, we have a guest with us tonight who spends a lot of his free time charting this kind of stuff, Mr. Dean Kendig. Mr. Kendig, how are you doing? Fine, how about you? <laughs> not too bad, not too bad. It's great to have you back on the show before the draft kicks off. Folks, Many of you know, if you don't, Dean works for DraftTech.com. He does a lot of in-depth research on scouting patterns. You know, he charts a lot of where the Bills' scouts are, what they're doing, who's attending what games. And it's really great information to have, especially when you're trying to have a conversation like this. So, first of all, Dean, you've got to be pumped that the draft is just a few days away, right? I mean, this has to be like Christmas yeah. for you. Yeah, all, all of our all of our work is done. We just have to find out what what Bean does and and what he follows. You know, is he going to be doing drafting the people that that we think that he's going to draft? And and the answer is no. Um, <laughs> you know, there's never enough information that will point to that. I, for instance, I know which games that Bill Scouts went to and who did really, really well in those games, that might not be the person that, uh, that they were there to scout. Oh, absolutely. Well, not only that, but you never know when you've got yourself an L. Davis situation where everyone in the war room sitting around talking about, hey, you know what, we, we like this defensive tackle. There's a lot of offensive linemen here that are really good. But L. Davis saw a wide receiver who ran real fast at the combine, and so without anyone noticing, writes their name down on a piece of paper and phones it in. And that becomes and that becomes your Darius Hayward Bay at number eight, and all of your scouts just throw their hands up in frustration. So you never know when you're dealing with an L. Davis type draft. But so with That's that right. so with that said, we've been talking a lot about trying to read tendencies and tea leaves and different things. So now that we have you here, first and foremost, with your research as far as where our scouts have paid the majority of their attention during the course of the season, and now the formal scouting process, the meetings, the you know, the, the private workouts, the pro days, now that all that stuff has ended and you've gotten a bigger picture of where we were a few weeks ago when we had you on the podcast. First of all, I, I want to start just, uh, you know, taking a, from a, from a hundred feet away. We know that Doug Whaley always preferred ACC guys. ACC and SEC guys really kind of populated a lot of their scouting efforts. So are you noticing that there's any kind of trends like that coming out regarding Bean and his staff? Yes. First of all, the big schools got all of the attention. There was very few uh, Southwest Louisiana state action going on this year. <laughs> no um, no, no and, small school prospects, huh? 
And no ACC school got more than one game this year. And no school was scouted more than once on the ACC, and none of them had uh, Brandon Bean at them. Wow. Um, but the SEC schools, the Alabama got three three visits. Ole Miss got uh, one visit plus a GM visit uh, to the school itself. And then uh, South Carolina got a uh, game scouted and uh, Brandon Bean there. So Georgia and LSU each got two visits. That was probably the the biggest conference that we saw the action from. The other one was the uh, Big 12. West Virginia and Oklahoma got visits by Brandon Bean and Ohio State. So, um, oh, and I'm, I'm forgetting the uh, independent uh, Notre Dame who got the most. They got three uh, scouted games and uh, a GM visit. And, Notre and that Dame. was it. We had, we had one visit, you know, where uh, Tulane and Tulsa and University of North Alabama. Other than that, it's been big schools this year. So here's a question. Now, and this is really interesting to me because there's some guys out there. The, one of them we just talked about last week, Jerry Tillery. You know, he's a yeah. Notre Dame guy. And I know he's gotten a lot of press. There's been uh, Miles Boykin, the wide receiver there. He's another guy who's gotten, you know, scouts are up and down on him. It's interesting to hear that Notre Dame, out of all the schools there, actually saw a ton of attention from our scouting department. Now, when it comes to the guys making the decisions on draft day, like I said, you, know, you never know what you're going to get. Inside that war room, we don't know what goes on. So all we can do is take a look at who are the guys who are in the room and what are some of their tendencies. But not only that, I mean, like I said, sometimes you might have an L. Davis personality in the room. Sometimes you might have a, you might have a GM who just loves to gamble. You might have a guy who likes to take risks and likes to trade. You might have a, a GM whose mindset is, hey, I need to hoard picks. I need to get everything I can. You know, all, every season I have to be maximizing the number of draft picks I have. So what, what do you know about some of the people who are going to be in the room on draft day? We know uh, a few things. One is that Brandon Bean's team have each, for different teams, picked defensive linemen very early. That's Joe Shane, who, who drafted Jordan Phillips, Devon Godshaw, Vincent Taylor. McDermott selected back-to-back DTs in his first year when he was in the war room. Starla Tulele and uh, Kawan Short. But it goes all the way down to, for instance, the director of football operations. Bean took uh, Vernon Butler as his first pick in his second year. It's going to be it's going to be tough to thwart that kind of tendency because it was every single guy that's in that war room on Thursday night. Okay, well, that, that's not exactly a bad thing because as I've been banging the drum on, the whole reason that we ended our draft preview series with defensive tackles is because I think it's the one position that they didn't address in free agency. And it's, this, it's one of the deepest positions in this draft. So if you were going to invest high draft capital there, no one's going to fight you on it. There isn't a... Pr- I, I shouldn't say that because there's a, no matter what you do, there's going to be a contingent of fans that aren't happy with the decision. So we have to come to grips with that. But with that said, if you went defensive tackle with your first pick, I feel like that's not that's the, one of the safest picks in this draft that you could make in terms of potential the ability to help your team not just in 2019 but also to help you down the road as you continue churning this roster. So if that's the case, so be it. I enjoy that. But now as we yeah. just got done running down for everybody, 
there's a couple things that this franchise seems to, or at least this group seems to value, and that's experience and that's FaceTime. Now we know who has experience. You know, you can look at you, know, you can look at a cheat sheet and it can tell you who's who's an underclassman and who's a senior, who's you know, who played in the senior bowl, who went to the combine. You can look at all those things. One of the things that you can't is you know, especially for the casual fan, it's hard to gauge exactly how much time the team has spent with some of these prospects. Because to your point, there's visits, there's games where GMs will attend a game to see a specific prospect play. You chart all of this stuff. So you, better than better than I, better than Chris, well, sure as hell better than Chris. Chris barely knows what we're doing here. Uh, <laughs> We, you can come in and kind of start to paint a picture for us of prospects that people may not be thinking about who the team has spent a lot of time at least putting eyes on. And so with that, I want to start with the wide receiver and tight end positions. In terms of overall contact, who are some of the players here at this position that you, you've noted that they've either scouted, met with, or that they've just gone to see a significant number of times? Those that would be trade-back targets in uh, round one, I'd have to name Marquise Brown, A.J. Brown, D.K. Metcalf, and Nikhil Harry. If you wanted ones that are later on in the draft, Arcega Whiteside in round two is one of the ones that got late interest uh, during the year. So that's, that's a good sign. Now, how many um, visits? It's funny you mentioned him because I saw a chart on Twitter where you had had all of it broken down in terms of the number of times a player had been scouted, and you changed the color of them every time they got a new visit, and you had like a key, and it kind of broke that out. And it was something crazy, like four or five times the team had been there, been to see Stanford games, and or made contact with Arcega Whiteside. The contacts were um, mainly after the season because the, there were no scouted games, no Stanford scouted games by a Bill scout, and. I, I, I don't really have a reason for that. You think Stanford, you think smart player, you think, you think somebody that, you know, is going to be in a, in a pretty uh, good system for the Bills to be looking at. So that was a surprise to me. Well, and then, because to me, when I look at that, you, you start to look at the guy's stature, his profile. And again, that is a surprise to a lot of people. And then you start to look at it and you think about this. Okay, so he's a redshirt junior. So he's got, he could be a senior, but he's not. He's an underclassman. So he doesn't fit the, you know, the, I guess, if you want to call it experience profile. That said, he's a big guy at six foot two, 225. And has a, his thing is he's not, a, he's not the most electrifying athlete in the world. But he's a massive target to try to throw the ball to, and his catch radius is gigantic. So to hear that the team is looking at guys like him, you know, as we talked about earlier in our segment, sometimes when you're scouting these types of players, you may not get more than a visit or two with them, but you may like that player. And instead, you do a lot of work after the fact to vet that player against other players at the same position to see if the gap is actually as wide as it might be perceived. And if it's not, right. you go into the draft thinking, okay, I can, I can let this slide for a while because there's a guy I'm targeting who I think can be just as productive as one of these other guys in my system. So right. Arcega Whiteside, that's interesting to me to hear that we've had so much contact with him in such a short window of time, and yet he's getting no press as far as Bill's interest. I yeah. like the idea of that because what that is is it keeps you, you know, when you broadcast or tip your hand 
or you let other teams know what you're doing, obviously you you open yourself up to being your know, teams will trade up, teams or someone ahead of you will just take them for the sake of taking. <laughs> that could come into play this year because uh, you you can almost see the Patriots trading up uh, for Hawkinson. So if you take Hawkinson. At least he's not going to go to the Patriots. Well, and this is an interesting question about TJ Hawkinson. Now, in my research, I find that he's popular amongst the fan base. I mean, I, I deal, people know at this point, they've listened to our podcast, they've listened to me rant and rave for weeks about how oh, it's going to be, it's going to be the Josh Allen reaction, except in my backyard instead of in Jamaica. Like, this is going to be bad. It's going to be bad for everyone, everyone who lives in, in my neighborhood. If TJ Hawkinson at number nine is the pick. But so with that said, as I'm researching all this, I don't see any recorded visits with the team. And yet Noah Fant, who's, a, I guess, a lesser thought of prospect at tight end, the team has been scouting him. I mean, do you, what, what's your take on that? Iowa had been scouted uh, once during the year, and it was on... Uh October 27th, they were playing Penn State. So now you don't know whether they were looking at Hawkinson and Fant or whether they were looking at Amani Oruari or whether they were um, looking at uh, Anthony Nelson, the, the uh, edge rusher. Miles Sanders had a terrible game in that, in that particular game, by the way. That, that's worth saying because he's been one of my favorite players and uh, all of a sudden they're they signed Yeldon, so, <laughs> right? So now, now I I can pretty much guarantee you that Miles Sanders, because he had a bad game that day, he's he's not going to be the pick at the at the spot where he's going to go. Well, no, and you know what? But that's the thing, guys like that. You know, we talked a lot with Matt Waldman about the running back class, and that's something that can happen. You know, guys get overvalued, and you have to make sure that if you're picking that guy, you're picking a guy who's not going to step in as a day one starter. You've got to know that you're getting somebody who has the potential upside that you want. And if right. you only saw him once or twice and he had bad games and then you didn't put any effort into scouting him after the fact, it's probably a reach to think he'd be the pick there. Now, you said something else. It's just interesting to me that Noah Fant has actually gotten more attention. And I want Bills fans to hear me. Noah Fant has gotten more attention from our scouting department than TJ Hawkinson. So for those of you out there who I keep seeing, oh, I'll, I'll throw myself off a bridge if they don't draft this guy. That I, yeah, suge I suggest you start walking for the Iowa Peace game. Bridge now then. I, su I suggest you start walking for the Peace Bridge now because I have a feeling that it's coming. <laughs> so the, one of the Amani Hooker had the best game he, in, that, in that particular, that Penn State-Iowa game. I would draft Amani Hooker as the Iowa player in that game. Really? Um, all of the uh, cornerbacks that they have looked at this season, all of them are likely to be drafted are uh, six feet or over. Oh, that, no. this is a big class. Look a lot of them. So. Oh, yeah, no. And then there's one other thing about wide receivers and tight ends that I think is noteworthy. Out of all the schools that got a visit from our GM, got a visit from our scouting department, South Carolina. <laughs> South yep. Carolina was scouted, it sounds pretty significantly. Like, that, that was a meaningful visit. And at the same time, by my count anyway, and correct me if I'm wrong, there's really only one prospect here that's being talked about in the first, second round conversation, and that's wide receiver Debo, Debo Samuel. Now, 
Since that visit, they've gone on to not only go visit him at the Senior Bowl, but also hosted him on a pre-draft visit. Now that's th- so, so that's a GM attending a game, that's a Senior Bowl visit by our scouting staff, and then we had him here in house in order to kind of further vet his you know his understanding of the game, get to know him better as a prospect. How do you right. feel about that? <laughs> I'm betwixt and between about it because we'd probably have to invest a second for him. He has the he has the lowest cat catch rate of any of the players in in my top 20 and yet he's gotten more uh, interest than than most of these on here and in an audio of a uh, press conference that Brandon Bean said I've been to and he named four schools meaning been to the schools to talk to coaches and that was Ohio State South Carolina and Notre Dame all all three had um, wide receivers that are in this draft and will be mm-hmm. will be gone by the third round. So th- that's something to consider. Oh, absolutely. And so then, if um, it, if it, Debo's it, small guy. I I think we have the small guy that that can drop the ball. <laughs> no, we have a whole bunch of guys who can drop the ball. Last year proved that, and I, I yeah. feel like that's why you're going to see at some level. Maybe it's not the first round, which will upset a lot of people. Because there's a huge contingent to this fan base that is, I get it, you want playmakers, you want flash, you want guys who you know catch the ball and score touchdowns. But you have to win in the trenches first, and that's at least where I've been for most of the offseason. And so yep. this draft seems heavily slanted in that direction, but I get why people want that. And I just think it's interesting that there's these players like Arcega Whiteside and Debo Samuel that aren't getting a lot of play here in Buffalo, and yet they've been pretty heavily scouted by our team. The same way the offensive line rolls. Everyone keeps yep. talking to me about how, you know, they've you know, Alabama. Alabama's offensive tackle. Uh, Jonah Williams? Jonah Williams. I couldn't think of his first name. Jesus. Jonah Williams. He's a guy who keeps being talked about as he's got to be the pick at nine if they go offensive line. But then you look at it and you say, okay, well, There's a number of players they could have been looking at on Alabama's roster. I mean, that's what happens when you're one of the most talented teams in the SEC. Roll time! And and, uh, Brian Dable uh, went to Dillard's pro day, not Jonah Williams. And see, that's notable. Your offensive coordinator is going to check out an offensive tackle who's not the guy that's being talked about as your pick. That's why I like to get away from these national narratives and start to look at the actual information that's being laid out as far as who did they actually put eyes on. One of the guys who's not getting any press, I haven't heard a word from him here locally, or at least about him locally. Offensive tackle Caleb McGarry. Now, this guy... Private workout. I was going to say, they they saw him at the combine. He had a private workout. They went to his pro day. Okay, that right there is three times. Do you know any of any other instances where they may have scouted this guy? They actually did attend some um, some Washington game. That one I'm going to have to look up. They went to, went to the Washington Oregon game on October 13th, and one of the best players in that game was McGarry. That would be a really good guess in that batch. There were a lot of good backfielders in that game, though. 
No, but see, um, but see, that's Byron that's, Murphy and uh, Taylor Rapp are so. And so, one of the things that we've, Dean, one of the things we've been, you know, I've kind of been drumming out here over the last few weeks is this idea that what we did in free agency on the offensive line is not the be all and end all of our off season, our off season thought process because you put a band aid on a situation. Now is your opportunity to backfill some of these positions, like right tackle, like guard, like probably not center because you signed. You're hoping that Morse is your answer, but right, you've left tackle even. You've got you've got bodies right now that can probably fill all these positions. I'm still worried about right tackle because we've only got one player who's ever actually played snaps at the position. With that, you got a guy like McGarry. Nobody's talking about him, and yet the team has put a lot of eyes on this kid. So it's worth noting that if you're following the narrative of they like to keep eyes on it, FaceTime is important. He's gotten a ton of it. So his offensive yeah, tackle, Jawan really Taylor. I would like to know from the guys that are on, on the roster who they think is going to play right tackle. Inseki is 33 years old and got a two-year contract. He's a temporary Band-Aid. And then you've got Waddle, who's, who's got a one-year contract. And I don't even think that he's, that he's any, any better than uh, um, Butker. No, so. not at all. I think that Waddell is going to have a real uphill climb to make this roster as it is, not to mention whether or not they bring in a draft pick at this position. And then we get to the defensive line. Now, as you alluded to when we started this segment, Defensive line seems to be something that a lot of guys involved in this draft process have a track record of being a part of that decision-making process that yields a draft pick on the defensive line, whether it's a defensive end, whether it's a defensive tackle. So with that said, there's a lot of guys on the front that have gotten attention. And obviously the big names, your Quinn and Williams, your Ed Oliver, they both met him at the Combine, held them for private workouts. And then yep. your defensive ends have there's a whole slew of them. I mean, they only had three guys in for private workouts, or three or four. I know there was yeah. some Max Connors or whatever his name was, but of the ones who are meaningful draft prospects, Montez Sweat, Jalen Ferguson, and Brian Burns. Now they've all gotten varied levels of attention, but by your own admission, there's no ACC team that got scouted this year. So Brian Burns didn't get any real like no, nobody went to see his games. They're kind of kicking the tires on him post-season just to see what he's about. Jalen Ferguson, on the other hand, pro day, private workout, and to your point, which something that you slipped into an earlier podcast, they've been to Louisiana, or what was it? Uh, was it Louisiana Tech? Louisiana Tech, but I, I, they didn't go to a game. One advantage to uh, Jalen Ferguson, other than, than just his output uh, per game, he's played the most games. Okay, so all he's, of the edge rushers. So, so he's got so that, that experience factor that they may be looking for, and they've gotten a lot of face time with him. Knowing this, there's some prospects here that it sounds like maybe have a little bit more credence lent, should have a little bit more credence lent to them as draft prospects, and they're being given credit for in the national spotlight. And I guess that's why I want to do this. Now, are there any sleeper picks just based on your scouting patterns? You know, I'm talking you know rounds two, three, four, the ones that don't get all of the press. That based okay, on the Garrett amount of Roberson, attention, Sam Houston State. They met him at the Shrine. Nobody on that edge rushing class has more tackle for losses per game than uh, Derek Roberson, and they and they've um, shown interest. He'll probably go in round five. 
Wow. Um, another one is, is um, Daryl Johnson, North Carolina A&T. He actually is averaging 1.4 tackles per loss per game. I'll, I'll give you one more. Sharif, uh, well, Sharif Miller and Max Crosby both got um, 30 visits. Sharif Miller's from Penn State, so he, he got scouted and, and Bean went to his college. He's, he's averaging 0.8 sacks per game. He'll probably be a fourth rounder, be, partly because um, he's had some issues with unsportsmanlikes. So I, I'm not really sure where that one's going. Nah, but. you know what? I don't care. I don't, I, don't want, I don't need Boy Scouts. What I need is big uglies. I need big uglies who are willing to go up there and smash people for me. At this point, yep. I'm sick and tired of I'm sick and tired of the uh, the, the the classic you know uh, high character quote unquote and the high motor white guys. Yeah, I'm done. I've had enough of that. I want to I want you to go out there and find me some big uglies. They do that. I'm gonna leave this. I'm gonna walk away from this extremely pleased. And it's my birthday yep. week, so hopefully they do this for me. So with that said, Dean, we are gonna let you go. Where can the folks? Because I know you're gonna have a ton of post draft work. Where can everybody find your stuff? Well, drafttech.com, the night of the draft, both fr- Thursday and Friday, we are going to re-simulate the entire draft after every pick. So that's drafttech.com. That's drafttech with two Ts. That's where I would go first. We're, we're issuing a mock draft tomorrow morning, and that, that'll be my uh, next mission. I have to edit um, all 64 comments uh, by tomorrow morning. I'm grateful for this extra time, and I also um, I also do a lot of authoring on um, BillsMafia.com. There is a good article there, and links to all of my spreadsheets are there um, right now. You can find Dean Kindig on Twitter at tcbills underscore astro. If you're really interested in uh, learning about who the Bills are going to scout for the draft, tracking private workouts, all of that jazz. Go follow Dean. Great follow on Twitter. I mean, guys, I, I we parse through all this. I, it's this is this draft is one for the ages in terms of being a crapshoot. I mean, it sounds like there's a lot of names out there. There's some guys in the later rounds that have gotten a lot of attention from the Bills, especially at the wide receiver position and tight end position. That I think. You have to, if you're rooting for a skill player, you're, I almost feel like if you're rooting for it at the top of the draft board, you might be very sorely disappointed. But with that said, I don't know. I, no one knows. I think we've done a solid amount of research enough to say that I think they, there's a handful of players that fit the mold of what they're trying to achieve here. It seems like your Montez Sweats, your defensive tackles, you know, your Quinn and Williams, your Ed Olivers. These defensive guys, whether or these offensive tackles, and Caleb McGarry and Juwan Taylor, in the first and second round, it seems not. It seems I don't want to say a foregone conclusion, but it seems likely that those guys may be the targets, considering how much time the team has spent with them, how they physically fit the profile of players that these guys like, how they just seem to how they fit our team's needs, even if fans don't want to see it that way. Everybody wants touchdowns. Nobody wants it. Everyone wants touchdowns, Chris. I get that. But you have to have you have to have trenches. Otherwise, you end up like the Colts for the last five or six years. All the quarterback play and touchdowns in the world couldn't get them to the championship game again. Why? Because they didn't have a line. They didn't have an offensive line or defensive line. So you can tell me all you want about how great you think those these 
Tight ends, receivers, Metcalf, Hawkinson. <sighs> no, build it from the inside out. Build it from the inside out. And so with that said, though, this isn't as much fun without a little skin in the game, right, Chris? Ah, I know. That brings us to our draft bets and propositions. Seagrams. You know what I saw on uh, <laughs> you know what I saw on Facebook today? What? I clicked on memories and I I think it was 09. I said CJ Spiller, that's the pick? <laughs> really? Or what if we do that? Oh Jesus. To pick something we're already heavy at. Chris, <laughs> I'll tell you this. So here's a good place to start this with that right there. In the first round, Chris, offense or defense? We already know where I stand. What do you legitimate, legitimately believe the team is going to do? I think we're going to go defensive line. Defensive line? All right. I'm glad, Chris, cheers. I'm glad we're finally in agreement on something that makes sense. It seems like you might be learning something sitting over there behind the, behind the board. <laughs> well, I mean, I could see if, if uh, Arizona does take, doesn't take uh, Kyler Murray and they take defense – and then there's a string of defensive players taken in the top nine, and nobody wants to trade up to get a quarterback ahead of Denver. You know, then I could see us going Juwan Taylor on a, on a, a tackle if there's a slew of defensive players going. All right, that's fair, but I I still believe defense is the pick, regardless of what our listeners may want. Total number of wide receivers drafted by the Bills this season. I mean, let's see. I said we were drafting last season. Oh, and, and you, you almost lost. No, you were, uh, you, you, we took two. We took two with the last two picks. Yeah. <laughs> one of them didn't even make the roster. Yeah, and then one was in the doghouse the whole season. We're going to take a wide receiver at some point, I would say. But either, I would say maybe third round. Okay, so how many total do you think the Bills will draft this year? Because they drafted two in a at the end of a bad class. <laughs> I I would probably go one, one wide receiver. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know why. I, I feel like we may make some. Tra- we got ten picks. I feel like we may make some trades. Well, and that's see now, Chris. I'll say this: you say one. I'm gonna say I'm gonna say two, and we'll split the difference. <laughs> All right. I'll say two. Now, you just mentioned trades under over the number of players the Bills actually select. I'm going to make the line seven and a half. Here's my logic. The Bills have 10 picks, and I don't know that, that there's 10 positions that you can draft a player and have him conceivably make this roster. We're deep at cornerback because of free agency. We're deep at safety because of free agency. Our linebacker core has bodies at it now. Our defensive line needs help, but at the same time, how many defensive linemen can you take in one draft? Same thing with the offensive line. We were very active in free agency. Our running back core has more players than we have room for on the roster right now before the draft has even started. But we have 10 picks. I, I just feel like not only, and not then not only do they have to make your roster, but then if they do, you have to pay all 10 of them. Anybody want to do that? No, probably not. So that being said, there is a trade to be made somewhere in this draft. I just don't know where. And that's going to dictate how many picks. So under or over, the Bills are going to take Seven and a half is the line, Chris. What do you think? I might say over. Whoa, over. All right. Yeah, because look, somebody. I'm telling you, depending on what Arizona does, if somebody wants to get ahead of Denver to take a quarterback, and we can trade back, like uh, I mean, Miami's at 13 and uh, Washington's at 15. You know, you pick up an extra second. I mean, I don't know. 
how the, the, the what is it the Jimmy Johnson drafting point system. I don't know how any of that stuff works, but if you can trade back five, six spots, still get a defensive tackle or end, pick up an extra second, and you already have your own second, so you just take another uh, defensive tackle or defensive end. And like that, two rounds, you replenished your uh, defensive line to something better than it was last year. I should be a GM. I'm a... <laughs> They wouldn't let you in the building with that haircut. I'm going to take the under, and I'm going to take the under with authority because I think that there's so much talent in this draft at the top and in the middle rounds that there's going to the Bills are going to be hard pressed to a draft ten guys. But if you have the capital to make a move back up into even the third round, there's there's a caveat to do so. The things that this draft is deepest at: offensive line, defensive tackle, defensive end fit our team's needs in terms of depth, in terms of need for talent with upshot. It just seems like a no-brainer to trade a lot of this extra draft capital away. Maybe not even on day one or two, but to find ways to get back into these other maybe more meaningful rounds to find guys who aren't just going to end up getting cut at the end of training camp. All right, Chris, here's, an, here's another good one since we're on the subject and you, you, you've brought it up multiple times throughout the show. Quarterbacks and Quarterbacks are one of the most overvalued positions in almost every draft class. This year, Kyler Murray's made all of the headlines. Even though, the well, what was it, Gil Brandt? In the hyperbole. You want to talk about the peak of hyperbole. Gil Brandt recently referred to quarterback Daniel Jones as, quote-unquote, the same guy as Peyton Manning. Uh, <laughs> no. No. So, so with that said, quarterbacks are always overvalued because of the importance of the position. How many quarterbacks get taken in this year's first round? Last year, there was a number of them. How many do you think go this year? I want to say three. Three? I'm going three. I'm going to say four. And I'll tell you what. We'll set the line at three and a half. We'll call it an under-over. All right. All right. So, folks... If there's anything else, any other prop bets you guys want to propose to us between now and Thursday, we're yeah. going to be hanging out. We're going to be drinking. It's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, I've got. I picked up eight Seagrams <laughs> over the weekend. So <laughs> feel free to play along at home. And if you have any suggestions or any bets you want to engage us in, feel free to get a hold of us at Rockpile Report on Twitter. Now, for night one of the draft, if you are in the area, I'm going to tell you one of the best things that you can do with your night is head out to Batavia Downs to 34 Rush Thurman Thomas's Bar. The guys from Rock Sports Network are going to be there. I can't join them this year, unfortunately. For night one, the, the huge, you're going to have a panel of analysts. It's going to be the guys from Hashtag Sports. It's going to be the guys from uh, Icy and Ryan from Rocks, from the Huddle over on Rock Sports Network. I think Spencer German, actually, who left the area to cover the Browns. Poor bastard. Although now it's like Christmas for him. <laughs> They're going to have a, a smorgasbord of guys just analyzing the draft as it's happening at 34 Rush. There's going to be food specials, drink specials, a ton of giveaways. It's a great night out. And Chris and I are going to be there on Friday night, recapping round one and covering rounds two and three. It's a great time. It's, it's, a, it's a great event. It's a great setting, Chris. How cool is it to be watching the draft and hanging out at 34 Rush with all that Bills memorabilia around you? You're surrounded by Bills fans. Yeah, it's a it, great time. It is a good time to uh, 
to spend with Gary and Ryan and Icy and everyone over at uh, Rock Sports Network. And if you guys can't make it, you can always stream it on Facebook over at Rock Sports Net. There's a link in the show's description tonight. Make sure you go check it out. Now, guys, this has been great, but I just can't wait for this shit to be over. <laughs> Chris, I can't. I know. Thursday. Can't get uh, here soon enough. And, and mark my words, folks, if it's a tight end or wide receiver, yeah, I will have Remember a- what Chris said about sending in your resumes? Yeah. To fill in for me if I didn't make it back from my cruise? J- just keep them ready. Because <laughs> Lord only knows what's going to happen if we end up taking a tight end at number nine. I will, I will have a camera on you for our selection, and I will follow uh, you wherever you go unless you get in your truck and literally leave your own party. It's not like it hasn't happened before. Folks, hopefully your draft experience is a good one. We're going to batten down the hatches over here on our end. We will see you. I feel like Peter Vankman from Ghostbusters when we're talking about crossing the streams because I have no idea what's going to happen. See you on the other side. See you on the other side, folks. I'm Drew Gear. That's Chris Krueger. And this has been the final pre-draft rock pile report. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.